This is a recording of my paper, which I submitted to my college um, earlier this year. I wanted to keep it on my page because I think I'm constructing some interesting ideas around the ethics of counseling, which uh, adapt to the the male the new masculinities in male psychology um very much inspired by the palgrave handbook of male psychology um i didn't really set out to do that in this paper i just set out to uh, answer the um assignment you know requirements but it ended up being a really interesting uh, thought exercise for me so I wanted to record it and I'm quite happy to do an audio for all the the couch potato psychologist fans <laughs> so here goes a catalyst for change quote the church that taught him may be an organization dedicated to its own power controlling people's senses of shame and guilt and a sin is an instrument of power. That was Blackburn in 2001. This quote jumps out at me as I research this topic. The reasons will become clearer below. In a short essay, from my current perspective on the journey of ethics in psychology, one is tempted to pontificate on the themes of contemporary social justice tropes so common on social media. However, theories of counseling are based on worldviews each with its values, biases, and assumptions of how best to bring about change in the therapeutic process. That's quoting Corey, 2019. That's a textbook. A review of ethics literature leads me to reevaluate re the origins of one's morals and how they affect ethics. Immanuel Kant in 1785 warns us that benevolence may lead us astray and posits a precursor to Rogers' 1957 unconditional positive regard with his formula of humanity, essentially that respect for the other person is a noble pursuit in itself, never merely as a means. These concepts resonate with me. Below, I will draft my reasoning behind my approach to ethics and the therapeutic contract. But first, I must take you through pivotal junctures in my moral development. I remind the reader that I'm now 48 years old and my story is not easy reading. However, I believe the narrative approach takes us to a better place. This essay addresses the ethical approach to the therapeutic relationship. We will assume the statutory regulations and the ethics agreed with registration bodies stand undisputed. Shaped by crisis. Like the knots in a tree, our fruit-bearing branches are a result of peaks and troughs of one's ecology. Our development is fraught with periods of abundance interrupted by droughts of resources, role models, and morals. The tree may be lumber for a fire, or it may bear fruit for generations of those who require it. I use this metaphor to illustrate my view of the journey a person takes in their own life. I hope through my knots I can help people feel more like fruit-bearing trees than firewood. Certainly, I felt like firewood for the displays of virtue and narcissism of many people in positions of power in my life. I will restrict this essay to critical knots in the branches of my growth. 
rather than taking on specific contemporary topics of values and morality, I will attempt to define a humanist perspective shaped inevitably by my experience. Lessons in childhood. I am fortunate to have experienced the pure and conditional positive regard of a devoted mother can provide. For the first 12 years of my life, I lived with my mother and enjoyed the benefits of this archetypal love. I believe this period saved me from the ravages to come of blunt violence at the hands of my father, the deprivations of real poverty, being forcibly removed from my mother, forgotten in a boarding school and ostracized, even vilified by my extended family, and the traumatic experience of being present when my mother finally had a total schizophrenic break, all before I turned 13. By then, adult failures had convinced me that no one needed me, that life only held suffering in store, that love was extremely rare and adults were all selfish, brutal beasts guarding their domain with inhumane difference. Life had a few more hardships for me, but in a conversation with my mother years later, when she was well enough to engage with me, I decided to live the life she could not. I also realized I had the capacity for love that she had given me. Two themes remained for me to build on, respect and power. Those who had power abused it and disrespected others through prescriptions to behavior. Those who treated others with respect did not need power because they harnessed love. Learning these lessons during the birth of a new South Africa was symbiotic. The apartheid state sought to prescribe race-based social stratification through fiat. Success in my own business was due to the respect, power, love paradigm, although it was a cobbled path I took. The stranger in the mirror. I have the hindsight of a middle-aged man writing these statements now. The reality is I was a stranger to myself until I was about 28. During a particularly dramatic romantic breakup, I found myself staring into the mirror. Tears streamed across my face, worn out from agonizing over the injustice of life. While drunk on cheap wine, I suddenly saw someone I had no respect for. There in the mirror was a man living one way while posturing a higher morality. My revenge on this unjust world was to ensure I behaved as its judge and executioner, setting standards no one could meet and condemn all who failed my grandiose dictum. Hereby proving what I believed about people all along, that they would disappoint me. I had no, I had not earned respect. I was not experiencing love and I was wielding power as a child on the playground. I asked myself while looking into the mirror, who and why would anyone love you? I believe these are the archetypal questions everyone asks themselves throughout their lives, either openly or covertly through self-destructive actions. But each person will present differently, and for that, we can't have a prescribed formula. We find that ethical codes cannot provide the blueprint we would all like for all challenges in counseling. They are necessary but not sufficient for exercising ethical responsibility. Having a catalyst position of ethics becomes the culture to which you defer an instinctive response rather than a cookbook reaction. Here, I use the construct catalyst as elements used in a small amount relative to the reactants that modifies and increases the rate of a reaction without being consumed in the process, that precipitates a process or event, especially without being involved in or changed by the consequences.
This may sound like an unnecessarily masculine approach. I concede to being a man advocating for new forms of pro-social masculinity within psychology. Reviewing literature. The literature provides secure grounding for my catalytic ethical perspective. Green gives a recap of Zur 2009, where she states, coming from either the therapist or the client, the opening for difficulty to arise takes shape when power is abused or misunderstood, although there may be an opportunity to rethink the system of power, to use it constructively rather than succumb to its complexities. That was Green 2015, reviewing Zur 2009. This beautifully summarizes how I have approached the role of power in generating respect with the goal of harnessing love. Here I use the word power as the innate capacity for influence inherent in all of us, including the client. Green reminds us that a misunderstanding of power can sabotage the therapeutic relationship from the start. I have seen this when acting as an employer. Power wielded carelessly seeds its own corruption. Our role as counselors comes with personal and social responsibilities as the mediators of emotions in our clients. Green further describes types of power, referring to the payment for services dynamic and the risk and transference of the parent archetype. I recognize I have an instinct to veer towards nurturing and advice, born of my lack of role models, my failure to save my mother, my history as an employer, and my status as a child-free middle-aged man. We should recognize that parents will often seek us out for advice anyway and be prepared to respond ethically. Beyond our prescribed ethics codes, I believe the catalytic respect power diode will help me default to a congruent therapeutic role. Beyond prescribed ethics. Harrison 2013 lays out the six core principles in counseling, which are rooted in the humanistic approach advocated by Maslow, Rogers and May. There are two issues I see creeping into counseling ethics that make me wary of some approaches to counseling and their prescribed models of ethics. As Harrison states, the six core principles, autonomy, non-maleficence, beneficence, justice, fidelity and veracity aim to empower the client and reduce the ill effects of power dynamics in their lives. However, she goes on to explain that the therapist can be too focused on beneficence at the expense of recognizing the autonomy of the client. This suggests that the therapist has already lost respect for the client by advancing social outcomes vicariously, seeing them as the artist sees a blank, blank canvas. In philosophy, we find that adherence to codes may be insufficient, that assuming one's good conscience is not enough because consciences can be as perverted as anything else. I'm quoting Blackburn 2001. Further, we find that Barnett 2007 questions the motivations of some therapists who naively seek to help people as being reluctant to enter into the difficult emotional storm which can be brought forth. The risk lies in the misguided altruist using ethics that seek to neutralize power within the therapeutic forum to exercise their own unquiet spirit at the expense of the client's growth. The wounded healer would always aim to leave their demons out of the therapeutic relationship. Instead, deep respect for the client allows us to modulate power between us, with the outcome being the gradual and progressive gain of the client's own inter internal power resources.
This respects the dynamism theorized by Maslow in the client's needs status, harnessing the libido of Jung to create the healthy individualism of Rollo May. As opposed to first year, I now fall short of advocating for complete unconditional positive regard in the therapeutic relationship as advised by Rogers in 1957. I recognize the risks mentioned by Harris in 2013. For example, the silence allowed in Rogers' approach can destabilize the power dynamic. I believe the mother archetype is capable of unconditional positive regard. But we know that progress requires the father archetype to provide the distinction one requires to move forward. Coercive power. As an employer, I would frequently be forced to resort to exercise coercive power to get someone to perform duties required within the scope of their job. I've always exercised this power cautiously because I've been on the receiving end of unchecked coercive tyrants and I know the deep resentment it can ferment. Reading Zur and Green, I relate to the dangers of this power within therapy. I will have to find ways of moderating my instincts to coerce people. I risk diverting clients into adopting signs of growth to assuage my coercive directives. However, power within the therapeutic relationship can be exercised to achieve goals beneficial to the wider society, especially the society the client lives in if utilized carefully and at the pace of the client. My conclusion, my life experience tells me no good comes from wielding power over others, especially if it does not progress their goals in their ecology. I find a home for these principles in counseling psychology, but I also position myself to modulate, mediate, and moderate power and its libidinal flow of emotions. I take the baton tentatively and turn to face the future knowing that you can never reduce humans to a fixed set of codes. The, existence, the existential psychologist, Rollo May, has inspired me. In his parable, at the gates of heaven, St. Peter scolds the behavioral psychologist. Quote, you made man over into the image of your childhood director set or Sunday school maxims, both equally horrendous.